Sorry, can't say. What's that word you use? Spoilers. I like that word. Hello and welcome to Spoiler Nation, the podcast where we have spoiler-filled discussions on your favorite and sometimes not so favorite movies and TV shows. My name is Howie and I'm the senior editor at IsolatedNation.com. Hey, this is Reese. I speak on this a lot and write articles for Isolated Nation. Now we're gonna. What are we talking about today, man? Today it's a sci-fi-centric episode. We are pitting brainless sci-fi versus brainy sci-fi. Ironically, the brainless sci-fi involves a big brain as like a huge plot point. <laughs> that is very ironic. <laughs> So kind of Spoilers strange. for Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll start with that, right? Uh, this episode, we're going to break down Annihilation, Netflix's latest sci-fi mindbender by Ex Machina director Alex Garland. Former novelist, or novelist as well. Yeah, that's right. But before that, we'll talk about Universal's Pacific Rim Uprising. We into a world at war between the monsters that destroyed our cities and the monsters we created to stop them. We thought we had sacrificed enough. But the war we thought we finished is just beginning. And the only thing standing in front of the apocalypse is us. The sequel to Guillermo del Toro's, I think, 2013? Could you call this like a long-awaited sequel if nobody really wanted it? <laughs> Moderately anticipated. <laughs> I guess, yeah. We'll see. I'm curious to see how this does. Yeah. What is the thirst for Pacific Rim? Yeah. But um, yeah, so this one, Guillermo del Toro is obviously not directing it this go-around. He's just an executive producer, which whatever that means. But uh, this is helmed by Stephen S. Knight, and uh, he's had pretty good c- career in TV. He wrote like a lot of my favorite Buffy episodes. He was the showrunner of Daredevil Season 1, Spartacus, which I haven't seen, and he wrote Angel. But uh, this is his first feature film movie. That's right. And uh, his first feature film involves like these massive fucking set pieces, which they're the highlight of the movie, I'd say, <laughs> in this case. If the, they definitely have a focus in this movie, and it's on the Jaegers and the ki- punching kaijus. And if you go into it expecting that, I think you'll have some fun with it. Yeah. Let's make this a spoiler-free review, I guess, just because not many people have seen this movie yeah. yet. Yeah, it's and uh, to be honest, really, there's really nothing to spoil. I guess there's one twist. I there guess. is one twist, so but, uh, yeah, we'll which is see. pretty impressive that they added a twist in this movie. Hey, it's something. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> but let's talk about Pacific Rim as a franchise before we, I guess, talk about the sequel. Yeah. So this was. Um, Guillermo del Toro's monster movie, like in the most traditional sense, you know, it's pitting robot versus monster. It's his King Kong movie. Yeah, it's like that very sort of basic kind of anime Saturday morning cartoon idea, but obviously the film is loaded with his sort of visual style and sensibilities and stuff like that. For like a, in a family friendly way, like it's not like fucking gross. Yeah, yeah. But, so it looks, the robots themselves, you know, for the untrained eye, looks just a lot like, uh, you know, a Michael Bay Transformers type robot. Except in, in the premise or in the story of um, Pacific Rim, it's kind of, the robot. The robots are kind of humanized a little bit just because... There are people in the Yeah, 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 exactly. So the, uh, the mythology, in the mythology of this movie, the robots are so big that... Um, you need two people to control the robot. It's kind of like Power Rangers they've in got that a, sense. They've got a mind meld to yes. be able to uh, get the robot working. Yeah, in, in order for you to have full control of the robot. Or Jaegers? Yeah, the Jaegers, which is, uh, which is hunter in German. Oh, yeah. interesting. <laughs> so I guess they are hunters. Yeah, so in order to have full control of these Jaegers, two pilots have to be compatible in a psychological sense right yeah, they got to be like, they have to be as the movie calls it drift compatible yeah which is you can share a mind i guess essentially yeah like you're you become one i guess yeah it's a very yeah. intimate sort of act so you know that allows for some 
characters getting over psychological little traumas, traumas to, yeah. you know, come together at the end. Yeah. So it's like a very, um, it's an, it's a good way to sort of develop a character, but the sort of strange thing is with Pacific Rim is that with these two films, they haven't taken advantage of that at all. Yeah. In like a really interesting way. No, no, it's, they, they're using it essentially as a very, very basic uh, storytelling technique of flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's really, <laughs> that's all it has been. Which is kind of a shame, because I think that is a cool idea. Yeah. But the first movie was obviously led by Charlie Hunman, who is, you know... I, I don't know what you uh, think, Charlie Hunman of... Um, the Sons, Sons of Anarchy. Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy fame, and yeah. the almost Christian Grey. Was he, really? Yeah, I, I think so. Oh, wow. I know. But, um, yeah, he was, um, he was a fucking bore, man. Which I will say, this sequel, even though I don't... It's not as good as Guillermo del Toro's one, it has fixed the movie in that sense, and you've got a charismatic lead this time around in John Boyega. Yeah, that's who, right. It's not like his character's better, because it's like they're both fucking cardboards, but John Boyega is allowed to be very like boisterous and charismatic and whatnot. Sometimes yeah. it's like a little too much for me, because I'm like, oh, fucking calm down, please. <laughs> like, there's like a recurring joke about how like pretty he is. And yeah, yeah. It's stretched a little too far for me. I'm like, please yeah. just... Please. They really milk that cow. They they really do. But uh, I mean, it's better than having someone who's boring, at least. So I will give this film that. Yeah. So the first movie starred, as you said, Charlie Hunnam um, and Rinko Kikuchi. Oh, yeah. She plays a Yeah, the Japanese yeah. actress. So they're our main characters, and they're the ones that pilot the main robot, right? Yeah. And then essentially, you've got Idris Elba as their boss and a variety of other accents as like, yeah. side characters. And Idris Elba is also Rinko Kikuchi's adopted father. That's right. Yeah. Um, and he is, I guess, their coach type character. Yeah. And then you've got Charlie Day thrown in there. As well as comedic relief scientist. Yeah, he's um, the wacky, wacky yeah. dude. Most of the cast returns in this sequel, except for Idris Elba, who, spoiler for Pacific Rim, uh, dies, sacrifices himself in the first movie to save the world. And uh, Charlie Hunnam, who whose absence in this movie, in this sequel, is unexplained. Like, not even brought up once. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like he never happened. Yeah, his name was mentioned in passing, like, one time. Yeah, but you still don't know what, like, happened to yeah, him. Yeah, you have no idea. So, Rinko Kikuchi is back as well, and her relationship to John Boyega is that they're brothers and sisters. Yeah, because he's the son of Idris Elba. Yeah, he's the biological son. This is set ten years later, so presumably... He was a young man, a boy or something in Pacific Rim, and now he's like a young man who's sort of directionless. Yes. Because his dad kicked him out. So That's now, right. Now he's like a <laughs> troublemaker. He's a squatting in sort of these uh, uh, shitty mansions that yeah. have been devastated by the kaiju attacks and stuff like that. And he's it, a scavenger of sorts, I suppose. Yes. And then also, there's also that other girl. He encounters, yeah. yeah. She's like a real deal scavenger. She made her own little Jaeger. Yeah, it's an interesting setup, I think. It's a it's a cool way to start the film. Yeah, it's a, it's, it, I liked how it's it's kind of compatible with the first film because that didn't start with like a kaiju attack. It started with, oh, kaiju attacks have been happening for years and now like, yeah. it's almost like in media res. Yes. Like you're in it and like, oh, some time has passed with this thing. Yeah. And this is like a similar deal. It takes place in a world where the kaiju attacks have stopped, obviously, you know, stopped by Idris Elba and his team in the first movie. And I guess people are starting to question the usefulness of the Jaegers, right? Like, or at least using people in Jaegers. That's right. Because they're trying right. to build drones for the... I guess they're anticipating another wave or another attack or something like that. Yeah. And that's when you got uh, Jing Tian, I think. That's right. As like a third main character. Yes. Because this film was like really, actually, I was doing a little bit of reading on it, and China like financed like a lot of this movie. I see. So it's like, you better push China to the <laughs> forefront as much as you fucking can. Jing Tian, also uh, the main, one of the main characters in another Universal Studios joint, The Great Wall. Was she? <laughs> yeah, oh, she I, was. I haven't seen The Great Wall. <laughs> so Universal Studios have been doing a lot of uh, partnerships with... She must be, China. like, China's... Big I star, I guess. Yeah, like Jennifer Lawrence. She, and she's really good in it. She's really good in this she movie. Is, she is really cool, yeah. So they're building sort of drones for the next wave of attacks. And it's sort of revealed that, obviously, the drones are being controlled by some more kaijus. I guess that's the main thread of the film, is that the, the drones might be a problem. Yeah. Did you like this movie? I went in with, like, really low expectations. 
Yeah. And I walked out thinking that was sporadically fun. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't watch it again, most likely. Yeah. I would say, you know, it's a well-executed movie, except its ambition, it, its ambitions are very, very low. So, yeah. you know, the bars are so, are pretty low. It's exactly what you'd, you'd expect f- from watching the trailer, which is, oh, I'm going to see robot f- robots fight monsters. And that's exactly what you're getting. Well, in uh, there's a clear difference. The clearest difference I can think in the action scenes is that in the first movie, the fight scenes were like drenched in rain and ocean water and neon very artistic looking yeah and there was a real consideration for the weight of the jaegers when they moved Mm -hmm. so there was like a real attention to detail this one doesn't have the same attention to detail and like all the fights take place in clean evenly lit daytime that's right (laughs) so the aesthetics are like a power rangers episode but it's just a very expensive one and um that that's like sort of fun while it lasts and it's 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 very different from the first one obviously because it's like oh i can completely see what's going on and you know okay cool but other than that, John Boyega is really trying to like pump some energy into the film. Yeah, this movie really rests on John Boyega's charm. He's unfair. single-handedly oh, yeah. carrying this movie, which is an unfair burden. Like even <laughs> yeah. for a leading man, it's like give give us a little something more. I mean, they hint. It's just this film is a lot of half-formed ideas because obviously, John Boyega, uh, bad boys, recruited back into the. Um, you know, Jaeger Academy or whatever the hell. That's right. To train some young cadets. And I thought, oh, okay, this is like a pretty neat idea. Like he, he who doesn't want to be there really yeah, has the, to train... The son of a legend. The son of a legend has to also train these new recruits. Yeah. But you don't really get that. I mean, they yeah. use the recruits at the end for the big final battle and he's leading them. Yeah. But I'm thinking... This is missing missing the connective tissue where I'd be really invested yeah. because you don't see him hang out with him that much. He hangs out with this the scrapper girl, yeah. who he encounters at the beginning, and I guess and she she's like kind of a punkish, a spunky little girl yeah. who's like very competent. And I guess she's supposed to be the substitute for everybody, but it's like then that makes everyone feel superfluous. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she's the stand-in for her group. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that that feels like a waste of potential because that that's really a pretty neat idea yeah uh the movie spends no time building characters who are not john boyega i mean there's there's also like scott eastwood who's i don't even remember the character's name (laughs) or whatever but handsome guy handsome dude and he's supposed to be like a former sort of friendly rival to john boyega yeah he's like i would say like the boy scout to John Boyega's it's like they were, Harrison yeah. Fordness. They were doing a Top Gun thing with like yeah. Ice and Maverick. I yeah. think that's what they were going for. That makes sense. But again, that's just sort of like three or four scenes, and it's like I don't really know what their relationship is, like other than this really vague sketch. Yeah. But that's like a good idea too. But again, it's like a half formed idea. Yeah. And then the, there's like a love interest to Scott Eastwood who doesn't even literally doesn't have a name. So she does not it, have a name. She's nameless. It's yeah. like kind of a funny joke. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. So that's what I was... I, I have weird feelings to this film because I am kind of thinking, well, I didn't hate it, but I am frustrated that they hinted these things which could have elevated the film, but yeah. they clearly were just like, fuck it. Like, don't bother yeah. with that. Focus on the action Actions. Scenes. And it shows... Uh, their focus shows the actions are great. Yeah. You know, they're very easy to follow. They're clear and... At, at some points, you know, I got excited when a blade slices oh, yeah, there is, a yeah. monster or whatever. But there is a great scene when you bring up that blade. Like, uh, yeah. Jaeger gets hit and his blade is out and he yeah. slices through a building. And you, you're inside the building and you see these people inside the building fleeing in terror yeah. from this flaming blade. I'm like, wow, that's that's cool. Like, But that's really the only instance of civilian danger you get. That's right. <laughs> Even in the final battle where it takes place in a major city, they do this thing where they put in a line that's like, oh, we evacuated everyone. Go crazy. Yeah, you use it as your own personal <laughs> yeah. fucking playground now. Which, you know, I, I'll accept that. I mean, I have no qualms at all about this movie just because yeah. I'm not invested in anything anyone <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> whatever i mean this is so, this, i'll go with it this is like um it's strange to say because the first movie is like a monsters and robots movie yeah but this one is a much more corporate movie like they've even got the marvel stinger do you know like the mid they do scene? yes they've got a mid credit scene do. and they've also got like a lot of uh jokes 
where the yeah. first movie didn't rely so heavily on characters undercutting situations with jokes. That's right. That's right. They're, it's a Marvel thing. They're, it's like a hodgepodge of like, oh, yeah. Marvel, like other successful movies. I like the audacity of this movie, the confidence uh, of the movie as well, where they act as if they're a franchise that everyone's following, if that makes sense. Like they, do, they, yeah. they carry themselves like, oh, people are just dying to know about these characters. Yeah. And the crux of that, the peak of that attitude is in the the end credit stinger. I mean, it's clearly supposed <laughs> to leave everyone a note of, oh, what's gonna what's gonna happen next? Yeah, and that scene like, imagines a world where people are gasping at <laughs> what was said. It's hilarious. Do they really think they're gonna make a third one? Because like the first one didn't even make that much money, and well, there's it, even less hype for this one. It of feels course, like. it did well in China. Yeah, how long can they ride that fucking pony? Well, it depends long, how well this, this yeah. does in China, we'll I guess. Because there's so much uh, in it, in it, in a good way. Like it's not bad. There's a lot of China pandering because, as we mentioned with uh, Jin Tian, yeah, she has a sort of character arc where she sort of saves the day at the end. Yeah, not that big a spoiler, really, but. <laughs> You know, she... For a second there, you thought she was going to be the bad guy because she was the one that... She's the leader of the company that makes the drone Jaegers. Yeah, but it turns out that's sort of a red herring in a way. Yeah. There's a, a different kind of plot twist. Yeah, because at, at a point I was just... I thought, oh, is this... Do they have the balls to make China the bad guy? <laughs> no way. No, they do not. <laughs> that's, they're their financiers. <laughs> There's no way. That's true. Yeah. But um, ov- overall thoughts, I guess, if we're just going to uh, wrap it up, it's... Perfectly fucking okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a... This, yeah. The bad bits are not enough for me to, like, wince or want to shut my eyes, like, with a Transformers movie or something yeah. like that. Occasionally, it sort of accidentally thrills you for a second. <laughs> Ac- accidentally. Yeah, because I'm, sh- you know, just the audacity of some of the um, action set pieces. Like, oh, they're really going all out. Yeah. But um, other than that, it's like a solid sort of 6 out of 10 movie. Yeah. It's a movie that when you walk out of the theater, you forget gotten everything that just happened yeah it's um but I, you can't begrudge it because it's obviously going for capital a awesome instead of yes yeah, yeah that's what it's going for so if you're on board with that you got to know you you got to know that's what you're getting but obviously the trailers haven't lied you know it's yeah accurate to what it's the exactly is. what you think it is yeah that's what, what i'll say yeah so if you like a if you like watching you know mindless well-executed action movies. Yeah. Um, this is a movie for you. I liked it. You know, it's like a good bowl of sugary popcorn. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, you know, nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. It's like the perfect example of just well-executed, brainless action movie. Yeah. Yeah, and it works as that. Don't expect a third one, though. I mean, I, I gotta say, man. I think, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna guess that th- th- there's going to be a Pacific Rim 3. Right, the third wave. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what they'll call it. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense because that ties in with the ocean Pacific theme. Yeah, and it literally would be that. That's that's a great title. Actually, Universal Studios, you can have that one. We were we were talking about this, and I just want to sort of put it in here quickly. Oh yeah, you can go. I think I think the reason the first one kind of bombed is the title is so bland. It's such a bad title for like a movie that's supposed to be sort of exciting and action-packed. Yes. Pacific Rim. Yeah. It could be like a direct-to-video disaster movie, you know, made by a Roland Emmerich knockoff. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's just... That's a shame that it has that title, to be honest. I saw the first uh, movie on a cruise ship. So yeah. that was pretty a pretty fun experience just to see, you know, it's fun to watch something set in the ocean. That is that is an amazing while you're at way the ocean. It. Yeah, yeah. But uh, even then, even with that unique uh, formative experience of watching this movie, I always forget what the title is. I, I yeah. every time I'm trying to talk about this movie, I'm like Primeval? <laughs> is that the movie? The movie with the robots? <laughs> It's yeah. Even so, that would be a better title <laughs> than this. I think that's a different movie about crocodiles. Maybe look oh, it up. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, I'm giving it two point five out of five. Nice. You know, it's, nice, it's a pass. 50%. It's a fifty percent. Yeah. It's it's a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie movie. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump into the movie that we're actually excited to talk about. Yeah, uh, um, this is on the which is the other end of the spectrum. The polar opposite of Pacific Rim. But which also, is, he's kind of about an alien invasion too. 
It is. You know, it's its own kind of alien exactly. story. Annihilation, obviously, we're talking about. Your husband's here. Let me see him. He's extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. Uh, this is Alex Garland's second feature film. That's right. After... The director of Ex Machina. Yeah, which I thought... What did you think of that? I thought that was a beautiful it film. It was one, one of my... Of, my yeah. of that year. Was it yours too? That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say. It's... Um, he... And when I'm watching that and having watched this, what I like about his style is that it's almost like Sofia Coppola making science fiction I, that's films. That's a good... Uh, that is a good way to put it. Yes, his, I agree. His films have a particular like tone and mood and rhythm where you're almost in a trance when you're watching them, mm-hmm. and you're almost kind of relaxed despite there being at least two like horrific fucking images and things going on. Yeah, and he, it's yeah. He has complete sort of control of how he's telling his story, whether mm-hmm. you uh, like it or not. So I'm I'm so down for whatever third thing he does. But um, what do yeah. you, what did you think of Annihilation? overall sort of opinions it's very exciting to watch a movie like this yeah you know we saw it with a group of people and this is the perfect movie to see it with an audience fyi paramount so uh i guess let's talk about its journey to to netflix i guess because this was supposed to be screened in theaters was it going right? to be in Australia? It was. It, well, it was just going to be screened in theaters. Just everywhere. Yeah, yeah, just everywhere. That was the plan. It certainly had the budget to, you know... The star power, too. Yeah, exactly. Know, Natalie Portman. But Paramount got cold feet, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and just decided to... So it was screened in theaters in America for, like, I, I think two weeks. And yeah. then they, I, they sold it to Netflix. So two weeks after it screened in America... It came out on Netflix everywhere else. It's such a terrible half-assed way to release something. Yeah. I'm worried about this this business model when it comes to movies right now where you can feel like all the other movie studios, like their eyes are like popped up thinking, oh, we can just dump the movies that we're, we feel iffy about on Netflix. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of that I either. hope this is not a trend. Even though it was great to have it, you know, so soon. Yeah. It it was great to have, you know, to be able to watch this movie so soon, but this movie was made to be seen in theaters. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Especially the whole movie, but especially the final moments of this movie. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Just imagining, you know, walking out of the theaters just just getting chills. Especially just from the visuals. The alone. visuals and the sound design you're meant to be sort of basking in it. Yeah. And watching it on a screen at home, you're, it feels just like a more passive activity. Yeah. Even though yeah. I can appreciate how great it is still, yeah. it's just made to be in like that dark room, yeah. you know, with the surround sound and a yeah. big screen. It's meant to absorb you, like completely absorb you into the movie. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad experience watching it. No, but you could just feel Netflix. the missed opportunity. Yeah, That's definitely, all. definitely. Yeah. But um, I liked... Ex Machina better as a movie just because it was more focused on character by design as well because it's there are three characters in Ex Machina Mm -hmm. and there are like seven characters give or take in Annihilation but it has the same Alex Garland trademark high tension sci-fi you know it's the build up is just so tense yeah and the release is all horrifying yeah yeah (laughs) in both sort of instances I think also with uh, there's like a real difference between them is that Annihilation is like a lot more abstract and there's like yeah. a, he's throwing a lot of ideas into the film whereas with Ex Machina you can two dudes and a woman locked up like you can more or less get what he's getting at in a more concrete sort of way yes whereas yeah this is like a lot uh, this is much more ambitious it is yeah but I found Ex Machina to be also a little bit of a which is in a good way it's a bit of a mixed bag as to what 
you know, you're never sure what you're really supposed to get out of the movie. Like you're you're never really a hundred percent locked in on what its themes or what its messages, which I like about the movie. It's kind of open to interpretation in that sense. But I feel like it becomes more solid as it goes along as well. So yeah, in that way, he really isn't interested in like spoon feeding. Yeah, like his his plot or his themes or anything. Even in a very simple movie like Ex Machina, like well, simple on a plot level. Yeah, but this but, is um simple on a plot level too because yes. it's just it's five. Essentially, it's like there's a alien quarantine zone in earth known as the shimmer yes so it's around this zone where at the center of it is a lighthouse and inside the shimmer there's all these mutated dna going on things are mixing that shouldn't be mixing yeah and a biologist played by natalie portman and uh, four other scientists go in to investigate the shimmer so it's essentially like their odyssey into this weird fucking place yes where weird shit happens and uh some of them come out and they're changed like that's the basic beat of the movie but within that, you get some, especially when you're inside the shimmer with the characters, you get some very interesting explorations of, you know, duality and sickness and destruction and change and rebirth and stuff like that. Yeah. There's even a sort of reference to some Jungian psychology, you know, like yeah. reintegrating with the shadow self. That's at the sort of last 10 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really fucking heady. It's a very heady movie. And you're not completely grasping it while you're watching it, which means sometimes it's frustrating uh, to me, it was in a way because sometimes I was like, "Where, where is this like going?" It feels like it's lagging, but then something amazing will happen, and like my eyes will be snapped yeah. back to what's going on. But it was very like very watching it. It was almost like a bumpy ride, but I'm glad I took the ride because the ending made it well worth it. Yeah, it was definitely a really exhilarating movie at points. Yeah, for sure. There's an old timer of a horror scene with like a they encounter this monster. Yeah, and when it speaks, it has like its victims' human voices, like groaning out of its skull-like face. Yeah, let's quickly go through the beats of this movie, right? So we do start in media res style. Yeah, with Natalie Portman sitting in that in the facility. What is it? Do you know what it's called? No, it's obviously it's some... like Southern Reach. That's yeah. what the everyone's wearing hazmat suits, etc. Yeah, uh... immediately it has that arrival vibes you know like with the hazmat suits and things like that Mm -hmm. and a a woman uh scientist yes sitting there immediately we know she's the last person she's the only person to come out of there Mm -hmm. and then we get cut to how she got there yeah right and essentially she was in a relationship with oscar isaac yeah his military dude who he was the only one who he was like recently in the shimmer too investigating it uh, and he was missing, right? Or she couldn't find him. And uh, being in the military, yeah, y- she assumes that got KIA is the killed in action. Yes, right. But suddenly he shows up at her house, and he's very different. Yeah, because we see some he, flashbacks of their marriage and yeah. what he was like. His hair slicked back. Yeah, and he's very dark. He's looking. He's not looking right. <laughs> Looks like taking some drugs or something. Yeah, he's all and out of it. Naturally, Natalie Portman you know, breaks down, you know, her husband's alive. Yeah. But it's when she starts asking questions where you're like, oh, shit, something's not right here. Yeah. No one knew anything about your unit. I contacted everyone. Everyone I could. The other partners knew just as little as me. Pakistan again? I, I don't know where it was or... What it was. How is that possible? You must be able to tell me something. You vanished off the face of the earth for 12 months. I deserve a better explanation than no explanation. Doesn't matter. And, um, you know, he doesn't remember where he was, really. Yeah. As we find out later, you know, this is not her husband. Yeah. And in this scene, you can hear a bit of that, the southern accent slipping through, even in this beginning scene where he talks to her mm. but and then he takes a drink off the water and you see there's blood in his glass and he's like i i, I don't, don't feel, feel well. well and then he's just coughing up like loads of gnarly fucking blood and he has to like go to a hospital yeah he's sick obviously yeah so that's her impetus for going into the shimmer that's right to find out like how maybe she can like fix her husband uh, another reason why she wants to go into the shimmer, knowing full well that people who went in there didn't come out alive, right? Yeah. Uh, is uh, of course she's been having an affair with 
a friend. Work friend. A work friend. Yeah. And what we're led to believe is that he knew about it, and that is the reason why he goes into the shimmer. Yeah. Is that correct? I, yeah, I is that, that your interpretation? No, that's what I got out of it yeah. too. Yeah. What really drives a character, and the movie really hammers this point to you, which is, you know, it's a theme of self-destruction, yeah. right? That's the main driver uh, of the characters that actually go into the shimmer. Oscar Isaac goes in because he doesn't want to think about his wife, you know, having an affair. Yeah. Eventually, Natalie Portman goes in because he thinks that the husband, uh, Oscar Isaac, knows about the affair. Yeah. And, you know, it's driven by guilt and a desire for self-destruction because he'll just do whatever it takes to find out the cause of her husband's illness, even if it means uh, her death. Yeah. And then you have... um, the other women scientists in in the excavation. They have their own kind of traumas. Yeah, so Ventress is dying. Cancer. Cancer. And um, her surface level explanation is that she's one of the people in charge of this whole project of identifying what the Shimmer is. And she's been observing people going in. She's been the one to profile the teams that put them together yeah. and send them into the Shimmer. None of them come out. Yeah. It's essentially, she's like, that's it. I need to know. Yeah. Also, I'm dying. Yeah. I need my chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this might be the only thing I can do to fix myself. Exactly. And then you've got um, Gina Rodriguez's character, who is an addict. Yeah. <laughs> and Tessa Thompson's character, who is self-harming. Yeah. And we also have... What's Shepard? What was her deal again? Her child died. That's right. Yeah, she makes an explicit reference to... This is what I consider to be the weakest point of the movie. Yeah. Which is uh, the point where they're in the shimmer and uh, Natalie Portman's on the boat, uh, rowing the boat with Shepard. And Shepard, you know, questions or asks her about, you know, hey, what's going on with your life? Yeah. And she says you know my husband's dead yeah right like that's the crux of the conversation and she's like oh figures and she's like what what do you mean and she's like you know essentially she's saying oh everyone's got baggage yeah. here uh, a rare moment of this movie telling not showing which is just oh you know that's her deal this is her deal this is her deal and that's why we're here yeah yeah instead of just letting us find out for ourselves I mean, because especially when the film gives you, like, a pretty good clue early on when Natalie Portman's giving a biology class and she explains how, like, cell division works, yes. how cell mutates and yeah. stuff like that. So that scene's obviously there for a reason, so this felt, yeah, that yeah. felt a little bit, like, and that explanation, the nail really Exactly, and, and her explanation of this, yeah, it's done so well. Like, the this foreshadowing of her class and, and the subtext of her lesson is like such great foreshadowing of what the, the themes yeah. of the movie yeah exactly that it felt weird for them to then go oh okay these are you know the reasons yeah yeah but um i didn't mind it entirely in some cases uh the I, most in tessa thompson's yeah because there was a very like uh i can't even explain why it resonated with me so much but I guess it's obvious in a way, but I don't know. I can't really explain it. So obviously her character self-harms, but she covers her wounds. Yes. And they're in the shimmer, and they're pretty deep in it at this point, and it's affecting them in weird ways. But the way it affects her is that she gets... She's not self-conscious about her arm wounds anymore, so you see them in plain view yeah. for the first time, all her wounds. And they're around all these like flowers that, are, that have mutated out of things that they should have, shouldn't have grown out of. Yes. And she sort of... Uh, speaks to this sort of acceptance of what's going on. Right, this, that, this, like a minor line. Right, so this is uh, after shit has gone down, essentially. They've gone... It's after the crocodile. Yeah. It's after the genius creation of the monster bear. Yes, yeah. It's after that. <laughs> it's it after that. It's near the end, actually. Yeah. And um, so... But her destruction is, like, not violent at all. Yeah, it's like, acceptance. It's, like, it's, very it's like acceptance. It's yeah. very, like, natural and beautiful. Yeah. And it's sort of contributes to the horror of the film in a weird way because to me it's about like change will happen to you and you can either fight against it or yeah. you can let it happen but there's nothing you can do 
Like, there's a reason the shimmer isn't explained. It kind of just is. This is what I mean when I'm talking about the fact that Alex Garland, when in his movies, he's really not really trying to hit on one specific... It's not clear what the themes are, if that makes sense. She goes, yeah, Ventress wants to face it, you want to fight it, and I want neither of those things. Yeah. Suddenly, her, her mutation... Or her transformation has was accelerating. She was already like growing, taking root. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and then she just disappears. Yeah, that's the last we see of her. And she's uh, presumably one with the whatever, well, <laughs> the yeah. flowers and the flowers. <laughs> yeah, but um, what were you saying? You're hitting on a problem. Yeah, with... it, it's not a problem. Uh, you know, one of the central themes of Ex Machina is, or, or one of the central points of the story is that does she pass the Turing test? Yes. Is she human? Yeah. Those are essentially two different questions. And at the end of the movie, you're kind of not sure which one it is. It's because kind of, even does she actually pass, like whether or not she passes the Turing test and whether or not she, she's human is, are completely different things. Mm-hmm. I see the ending as like a scary ending just because yeah. she isn't human, but yet she's free in this world. Yeah. Right? She is essentially a threat, whereas someone else could see it play out differently. Someone else would come out of the movie thinking, oh, that's great. She's now free to be her own. But that's what thing. I... But that I don't see that as a flaw. I don't see that as a flaw like, either. I'm just saying that's just the kind of open-endedness that yeah. Alex Garland plays in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, It's just like, hey, here are all these questions, yeah. and they might contradict each other. There's no clear focus. Yeah. Even though, you know, in this, especially in this movie, they... There is there is a a focus and a point, but there aren't, like, definitive answers to what he's sort of bringing up and talking about. The through line of, like, asking the question is focused, but I guess the answer that it gets to isn't as clear-cut. He doesn't really have an answer, I don't think, anyway. I mean, you can watch it multiple times and maybe come to a conclusion, but I've only seen it once. So that's sort of what I I kind of like about his films in a weird way. Even though I I criticize it in some other films, like I I'd call it muddled or like it unfocused. But for some reason, it really works for me in his movies. And I think it's because he knows how to hone in on like a powerful image, and he has like total control over the tor- of the story that he's telling. Yeah. Even if I'm when I'm going along with it, sometimes I'm like, wait, what the fuck is like happening? <laughs> but uh, I feel like I'm in good hands with him. Yeah, it's very... I think his approach is very exploratory. Yeah, for sure. uh, And, you know, has less of an agenda, if that makes sense. It has less of a, I'm I'm trying to make this point for you. It's exactly... It's like, I look at the sort of something that's similar, but the total opposite in its execution is like Alien Covenant. Yeah. Where that too is about a bunch of explorers and they encounter like big questions. But that feels like fundamentally sort of ridiculous... uh, in hindsight, like Alien Covenant does. <laughs> and also, Alien Covenant isn't even the movie in the franchise that is the most interested in exploring those concepts. In yeah. Alien Covenant, the uh, quote-unquote philosophy side of things is all mostly window dressing, it's in a like way. It's like posturing and window yeah, dressing. Yeah, And like, it screams of just sort of like, a uh, little bit there, a little bit there. Yeah. Just let's throw him, see what happens. And here's a slasher monster. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Annihilation similarly is like, it's ambiguous, but yeah. it feels just more focused in what it's doing. Yeah. And appropriately for a movie about scientists, it has that scientific inquiry approach to exploring the themes. Yes. You know, it doesn't make assumptions about um, what's happening. Yeah. At the beginning, uh, Ventress uh, explains it to Natalie Portman's character. Could, you know, it could be a religious event. It could be yeah. an invasion. We can't explain it. Like, we can't pick one. Yeah, it's inexplicable, yeah. essentially. Yeah. It, at a very basic level, like, they enter the shimmer and they lose track of time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like a completely sort of alien world. Yeah. Uh, overall, with the film, I want to rewatch it at a much sort of later time because I feel like I want to sit with it a bit more. But um, very sort of strange, cool experience that I reiterate again. I wish I could have the opportunity to have watched that in like a theater. Yeah. Very interesting fucking movie. I'm still thinking about it like weeks later. What do you think of the bear scene? With the 
yeah. human voices and whatnot. Yeah. It's the, probably the highlight of the film for me. Probably, Other, other yeah. than the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Because it's such an original sort of... I don't know if it's from the book or whatever, because I know this is adapted from a book. It is. It's adapted from a trilogy. It is, isn't and it? And yeah. it, it essentially encompasses a bit from all three. I doubt there's going to be a sequel to this movie. It feels like there shouldn't be a sequel. Yeah. It feels like this is a self-contained thing. Um, yeah, so apparently in the movie, the word... So <laughs> Ventress says the word annihilation in this movie. We spoke. What was it we said? That I needed to know what was inside the lighthouse. That moment's passed. It's inside me now. What's inside you? It's not like us. It's unlike us. I don't know what it wants. Or if it wants. But it will grow until it encompasses everything. Our bodies and our minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until not one part remains. Annihilation. You know, she gets the titular line yeah. at the end where she, you know, this being that is the origins of the shimmer goes into her yeah. and she understands essentially what it's doing. Yeah to everything around it which is to um as tessa thompson says you know refracting everything and making she says you know it's like annihilating everything by just recycling everything into itself atoms usually separated just <laughs> yeah clumped together yeah <laughs> and that's when you get those amazing beautifully horrific shots like the tree with the human shape yeah. And the guy whose intestines are moving around and he Ooh, explodes. Yeah. In, it's beautiful was, yeah. and horrific at the same time because it's like a plant and then there's a skull at the top. Yeah. It's 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 yeah. like um the it's best the, the best haunted house story. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. seen in a movie. I think that's, that's right. like a pretty good way to put it. Yeah. Because it's a fucking fun house of horrors for like a good bit of it. But sometimes yeah. it's unexpectedly very beautiful as well. Yeah. And the ending with Natalie Portman in the under the skin shaped alien. That's right. Or her shadow, whatever that is. It's like, it's both of those at once. Like it's kind of horrifying. It's kind of sort of comical looking as well. At the same time, the way it like sort of copies her weird movements. Yeah. And it's like beautiful. Like it's, just a beautifully put together sequence of just sound and image yeah i was watching it again with my sister and she really um there was a scene where the at the first the very first time she takes human form uh well the being takes human form nelly yeah. portman goes crazy because she's like she attacks it immediately because yeah. it's just something so foreign and the moment it became familiar to her She's freaking out because her mind can't reconcile what's happening. Yeah, and she exactly. immediately perceives it as a threat, even though it never actually attacks yeah, her. Yeah, right? it never. Not throughout the whole. Yeah, the whole time it you know became human shaped. I and, guess. And then she finally like destroys it. Yeah, and end. and so the only time that it attacked her was when she tried to attack it. Yeah, and. But what it was really doing was that it was mirroring her movements. Yeah. So when she tries to escape, so does the alien, and it just crushes her because that's just the position that she was in. So then when she, like, passes out, it falls back down. Yeah. It's it's so interesting, and I, I think Under the Skin is a great comparison because it does... The alien does look like the alien played by Scarlett Johansson's character in the movie Under the Skin by Jonathan Glazer. It plays in a similar category that this movie is in. Well, the same, literally almost the same thing happens when yeah. the, it's revealed, someone tries immediately sets it on fire, yeah. which happens in Annihilation yeah. as well. The imagery is unmistakably si similar. Which it is, is. It's uncanny, man. And it, you know? for some reason, at the end of Under the Skin you really feel for Scarlett Johansson's character, even though it's just like some kind of formless alien. Yeah. And I think some of my, uh, some of my empathy for that character translated through to this movie, where when it was burning, I felt sad. 
I did too. I felt bad for this. I think the creature. Uh, I do think the intention was parallel. Yeah, though, for sure. Which could this be the movie trying to do a shimmer in a way that you know it's taking things and I like recycling side influence yeah it's and, like a meta yeah i mean <laughs> i would say yes except i can't pinpoint anywhere else in the shimmer where that happens that's true that's so true. i feel like this is just sort of i don't know maybe not coincidental but i, I don't think it's like a larger metaphor for the yeah shimmer. that's true but that would be pretty cool if that was i case. like to think of it that way but we'll see <laughs> i mean there might be like other films with like a beast with human voices and maybe is, yeah. is like some kind of meta reference to things being recycled and mutated into new things. Yeah. Which maybe. in this case would be Annihilation. But yeah, um, I w- that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stretch. That's why you haven't heard it. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> but um, so what, was, what I was talking about with the word Annihilation is that in the book, so I did uh, some small, like minor research on this. Yeah stuff that happens in the books is cut out from this movie essentially or is untold yeah and um in the books before they go into the shimmer they actually go through hypnosis with ventress's character she hypnotizes them interesting before going in just so that you know if something goes wrong and they have to kill themselves all she has to do is say one word and it's like a kill switch for them to like commit suicide essentially essentially you want to guess what that word is (laughs) (laughs) is it annihilation that sounds like a cool concept yeah well that says to me that um alex garland looked at the book and he looked at the very basic outline and he thought i'll do my thing yeah what he's trying to do is capture the spirit of the book yes and yeah, not so much the. He's not doing a direct translation. Exactly, and and I think there was an interview where he was he read the first book. So he goes to the writer of the book and says, you know, I can't adapt this in this form. It can't happen like this. So if you're okay with me go doing my thing. See, and then he got his blessing, presumably. Yeah, presumably. Well, that's yeah. pretty cool because who would who would know better than Alex Garland, who's you know played both sides of those fences. Exactly, like he's been a novelist and he's a filmmaker. Yeah. So if anyone's going to like get to the heart of like adapting a story, I think he'd be like the guy to do it, right? Yeah. I don't know how many books he's written or whatever, but I know he's like a novelist. Yeah. But um that's interesting. It makes me sort of want to read the book now just right. to see how like divergent it is from the yeah. the movie and cuz it would help me maybe like even understand better what Alex Garland was uh, doing with the movie. Mm-hmm. Cuz you could see the differences and the similarities. It's like what did he what resonated with him that made him pick that or ex, you know, get rid of that? Uh, yeah so i kind of do want to read the book now is it like a popular book i, I, I guess heard, i, I guess heard. it's like a bestseller maybe yeah i hadn't heard of it um before this movie <laughs> yeah me honest. neither yeah and it's a trilogy yeah so it's in, but they're pretty new books aren't they i know that the second book or third book or something came out while this was being filmed that's right so, uh alex garland some, famously didn't read the the next two books because there was some controversy over like natalie portman not being asian because she's an asian scientist in, yeah so it's not revealed into the later yeah. books in the first book uh they don't even have names interesting really. so uh <laughs> yeah so in the first book uh so they're just you know, Natalie Portman is just referred to as biologist. That's the even, biologist. That's even more archetypical than yeah. I would have thought. I mean, they are very archetypical characters when yeah. you think about it. Um, Gina Rodriguez, in a great performance, you know, she's the actress of Jane the Virgin. Could be, like, intimidating. Yeah. yeah. She's great as this fiery like take no prisoners lesbian paramedic i got the situation <laughs> yeah. i am the leader yeah. by default sort of thing she, and, it, and she's almost the the difficult the problem child of the group you know you don't know don't how she's yeah you don't yeah. know how she's going to react she has the funniest slash most frustrating scene in the movie where they're watching the horrific video for those who follow scene where he cuts open his friends or his teammates stomach to reveal the moving organs um, intestines. Of intestines yeah and immediately gina rodriguez is like that's the trick of the light <laughs> <laughs> just in complete denial yeah so yeah predictably predictably the shimmer like in brings out a crazed yeah. thing inside of her yeah. so she holds them hostage at yeah. like one point <laughs> it makes sense if you think about i guess like an addict's 
personality type, especially when it comes to a cinematic slash fictional character. Like in the sense of obsession or? Just in the sense of um, she seemed like she's someone that is suffering from withdrawal. You know, that's how she reacts her attitude. Yeah, Yeah, she's, you know, like she'll just do anything to get back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how she acts the whole time. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting, the team dynamics with the five, is it five women? Yeah. Yeah, in this movie. But when you think about the fact that um, Ventress essentially is supposedly profiling them before putting in a team together they surely aren't working well as a team no uh, they kind of come apart like cotton candy yeah like immediately yeah when shit goes wrong but you know that's they all that could be the shimmer as well the military guys (laughs) fell apart too so it's like it just seems like nobody has a chance (laughs) anyway why bother profiling that's true that's true but i guess you just wanted the brainiest people yeah i don't know I want to talk about also um, the kind of running theme of duplication, especially, you know, what the the main purpose or the main function of the Shimmer as well is that what ends up happening is duplication. Things that pair up. One of the most beautiful imagery in the movie is when Natalie Portman's, this is after Shepard's death, she sees the two deers. Yes, that's right. Uh, running, running. Yeah, and one looks normal and the other looks a little off yeah uh, and then um they at one point they walk into a house and it looks exactly like her house yes i remember that that's right which is crazy because um not only what that implies is not only does the shimmer duplicate or refract things that are there it also refracts things from their memory yeah, it's almost like their mind is a tangible part of things getting, um, yeah, you know, fucked up. Like their mind is like an actual thing that's being replicated within. That's yeah, how, that's how sort of people literally get duplicated. That's right. As you find out at the end with um, I- Oscar Isaac, like, he's yeah, revealed he's an actual doppelganger and he killed his. No, he well he doesn't, I guess. So at the end of the, the towards the end of the she movie, she sees a video. Yeah, she sees a video of uh, Oscar Isaac, you know, her husband killing himself with a bomb. Yeah, a flash, little bomb flash. And then it's revealed that the person behind the camera is also also looks like her husband and is the is the person slash creature that came back to her house and like got sick and coughed up. Yeah, it's a different person. Yeah. It's a different person, or are they this? So this is the in- inception moment, right? Yeah. Where you're, uh, the question is, at the end when they hug, he has you know his eyes are glowing. He, obviously, he's not the, her husband. Yes. She. He explicitly says so. Actually, yeah. Doesn't he? Like, and she he asks, says so, and he but says no. but is it because the shimmer essentially you know recycles everything back to into itself? That's maybe. She, he's not even sure that he, whether he is her husband or not in the sense that he was someone in the team and they just slowly became like he became Oscar Isaac yeah if that makes sense yeah okay yeah I see what like you mean. he transforms into Oscar Isaac yeah because you know he's grappling with even in the first scene he's grappling with his memories he's like I was outside the, your room and I looked at you and I recognize you Mm. right yeah the most obvious answer to that is he's the alien yeah but i don't think that's the case right because we saw the alien die when she burns well she killed she killed an, an alien oh okay you think you, you don't know if the alien could have how many copies of or whatever that's there true. are of that thing. that's true obviously she we see it at some level she doesn't get duplicated like he does but something has changed with her because the very last shot is obviously like her eyes. They shimmer as well. That's what I think the Inception moment you're talking about. Yeah, isn't? that's where I was leading to. Like, yeah. what, what kind of change did she undergo? Because obviously she didn't get actually duplicated. Yeah, and we saw that she's not the formless creature. You know, like, she's not. She's not. But maybe, like, in sort of what she did in, like, killing that creature that wasn't doing anything to her yeah maybe like she that enacted a 
different kind of change to obviously to her. Not, oh, like, so, not, so this is a metaphorical change. I, I think she, she's saying? had some kind of metaphorical change because I think, I really do think like maybe it sounds sort of nonsense, but that fight with her shadow self was like an actual literal fight with her subconscious or something. Yeah, like, that. like her guilt. that Of her guilt. So yeah. it was like some kind of wrestling with it. So in like destroying it, she has changed in some way. We just don't know the exact nature of that change, but it, it is a change. Like, everyone changed. and But we're not really quite sure what the nature of her change means. Or really, right. Oscar Isaacs, really. Like, you don't really know. It's just a creepy sort of way to illustrate two different changes. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it is kind of confusing. In whether we want to talk about it. I, I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And... If you're going that big a picture, I yeah. guess we're going metaphorically. You know, you yeah. could say... I think you have to with this movie. You have to like look <laughs> at it metaphorically. Because if you look at this movie like through a pure left-brained perspective of trying to figure out where fits what and what the alien's doing and what it yeah. wants, you're going to be like unsatisfied, I feel like, watching the movie. Yeah. So I think you have to like bring some like interpretation to it. I see. But that's what I think with yeah. this movie. Yeah. You know, you could even say that towards the end when they hug each of them has changed so significantly yeah they're strangers to a point that they yes they're strangers but also um that could be the thing that saves their relationship maybe the too end. yeah that's because a good, that's a good you know she destroys the guilt side of herself because if you, you go back to your motivation where she's motivated by guilt yeah and she like destroys that yeah, guilt at the end exactly that's what sets her free yeah. from the shimmer yeah and uh, oscar isaac yeah destroys himself he, he parts of himself which you said like he was going in there sort of in a self-destructive way anyway yeah. so he sort of undergoes a more like uh i guess it's a more obvious sort of <laughs> <laughs> like you know gun to head sort of thing yeah he's so, obviously motivated by very negative emotions too okay let's let's try and Co- like make this coherent if it's to see tough. if this works it's so tough. people who if, if we're looking at this as a metaphor for change yeah or like self-transformation mm-hmm. really is that you know people who go into the shimmer have self-destructive darker tendencies yes and by going through this process some people might not make it but if you stick it through and go out the other end changed and a different person and having dealt with that self-destructive side of yourself. Maybe this is a that impl- giant metaphor about therapy. That That's true. <laughs> but that also sort of implies that change is always... Um, you end up stronger on the other end of change, which I don't think is necessarily but, true. Well, that fits with the people who just died and get lost in the shimmer. They couldn't survive the yeah, change. Yeah, they couldn't survive the change. So they, if they can't, if you can't change, you die. Yeah. Which is obviously, you change or die is like a staple theme in like a lot of literature and stuff like yeah. that. It's like a common sort of trope. So yeah, I mean, obviously they both survive the change, but who knows what they are now? I mean, that's sort of the question the film leaves you with. Literally, yes. like, who the hell are they now? Yeah. And that leaves you with that uneasy feeling. It's the same uneasy feeling I got with the end of Ex Machina, which is just, this is not good, or is it good? I don't know. The I feel essential weird. question, I had the same essential question, is like, I'm like, what is the nature of this person now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially with Ava, you, you saw her commit these acts, which were horrifying, even though you understood what she was doing. Yeah. But you're left with, what is she, what now? Like, what... What what where is this going now? I don't know. I don't yeah. know how to feel about this exactly. Yeah, <laughs> which is sort of similar to this one. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. So Howie, what would you rate this <laughs> if you had to give it a numerical value? <laughs> I would give this three point five out of five. Mm, I'd go a little higher. I give it a four out of a four out of five. I'm comparing this to uh, movies like Under the Skin. And Ooh, Arrival, yeah. and even Ex Machina, who I think executed what it's, you know, it's all three of those movies are quite ambitious in terms of the science fiction themes that they want to explore. Yeah. And uh, I think succeeds for the most part. I give those movies, you know, four slash five out of five, you know. So compared to those movies, 
this movie does feel a little bit messier, a little bit unfocused. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not it's on purpose. Yeah. The movie just does feel like it's not quite sure what it wants to do at the end of the day. The confidence is stronger in Ex Machina than in Annihilation. Yeah. There are times in this movie where I could feel Alex Garland like shrug. <laughs> like, really? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, this. There's something that didn't quite satisfy me intellectually or move me emotionally yeah to an extent that all the all the three movies that i've just mentioned it yeah obviously they uh, have very sort of solid sort of thesis is at the heart of what their films are about and they're very deliberately focused but right. this this one um was like very challenging and messy to watch and i'll <sighs> yeah. i'll like admit like i i haven't like grasped like all of it like i it probably went over my head in some instances and I haven't made the connections. But I do, I can't remember like the last film, a time a film really challenged me in that particular way. Like not with its like shitty problems that I didn't like, but in like a way where it was so sort of weird that I couldn't put it all together. And I was like, that's pretty refreshing. I, I kind of enjoyed that. And I want to watch it at a much later date to see, you know, my opinion then, because obviously I have a basis of what, to expect with the yeah. film now maybe i'll look at it differently yeah and um i sort of enjoyed that experience of it so that's why i'd give it like a four like just yeah a i i love i do i loved watching this movie yeah and it's great whether or not you know a year down the track i would think back to this movie fondly mm-hmm. i'm not sure yeah but it's definitely a must see for anyone who is into science fiction yeah i would say that absolutely yeah like, even if you end up like hating it like you got to watch it once yeah that's for sure i can't wait to see what he does next I wonder what he's doing next do you know uh no i don't know because yeah. ex machina was like three wait, years let's, ago let's find out yeah and this so maybe like every three years he'll do like a science high concept science fiction film uh yeah because he you know famously he has this quote he's quoted for, for saying every movie that he does subsequently is a reaction to the previous movie that he did so then every time he does a movie i think ex machina he did after writing um that andrew garfield uh, and carrie mulligan movie oh never leave me or uh never let me go never let me go and yeah ex machina is a complete opposite reaction to that movie whereas i guess he's saying that annihilation is a reaction to ex machina which makes sense uh, i don't know it, it seems like it's the same and different at the same time. So yeah, to me, it sort of feels like like a, just a natural extension of Ex Machina. Even yeah. it's, it's even got the same guy doing the score, Ben Salisbury. He has like yeah. a particular sort of way he does his uh, music where it's sort of like very of a piece with how Alex Garland paces his films with that sort of soothing, trancey tone. Yeah, and that piece of music, the, the main theme of The Shimmer, which I think it's titled The Alien... Yes, is oh, so, so good. good. It's yes, iconic. To that. It's an iconic science fiction slash horror score. You know, when I hear that sound, it, it's so interesting because it. What's so great about this movie is that the main villain is something that we, it, it, at the end of the day, can't see. Yeah, you know, it's this existential, unseen threat that no one understands and no one will ever understand. Yeah, exactly. And. That's like, why, that's a threat. That's why I think you have to look at it this through, like, a metaphorical point of view again, <laughs> because it's not it's not explained to you, you know, what the purpose of it is. So in a way, it's like Art House Independence Day, like, times ten. <laughs> that's right. Except for spectacle, you get, like, brain spectacle and, like, a visual, some beautiful visual tableaus instead of, like, a White House blowing up, which I like both. I like both things. <laughs> I like a Jaeger beating up a kaiju, but I also like I like this as well. I probably I would like I like this more. This than... is I like this a lot more. <laughs> I'm just saying I can do both. I, I can fuck with both. Hey, right. how about this? Here's a pitch for Universal Studios: hire Alex Garland to direct. Uh, <laughs> I've already a, forgotten the movie. Pacific Rim. <laughs> Pacific Rim: The Third Wave. His film would just be about like a neon genesis sort of thing where it's just about how fucked up 
doing drift compatible stuff with the robots have made them yeah. and in the end they all become like robots but they're not in the robot suits they're just they're still humans but they think they're robots and that's like the ending of it or it could be from the perspective of the kaijus and oh, yeah. and they're all they're trying to do is help the humans oh that's interesting. and like the humans keep fighting them yeah <laughs> and they're like it's like a heroic thing every time they get out of the ocean one last time we'll try and help them yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get them we'll save them yet <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, you can have this for free. (laughs) Universal Studios. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, then. I guess that's it. I feel like, you know, I've seen this movie twice and I still haven't quite unpacked the movie fully. No, no, no. no. I don't think you you can. You need to watch it at least. I would say scientifically, this is uh, in my head. It's not scientific. (laughs) But five times. Watch (laughs) Annihilation five times and I think you can really dig deep into the surface of what's going on. Because I think you need to really familiarize yourself with the images before you can make those connections. Yeah. Because that's why sometimes when I was watching it, I was like just fucking baffled, honestly. Because yeah. I'd never seen a sequence of events sort of put together quite like this, like a haunted horror house thing, which just seemed like an alien movie. And then it becomes like this silent art movie yeah. in the last 10 minutes. It was, it's such a whiplash that, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's unique as fuck. Uh, you can say that for yeah. sure about Annihilation. It's a win for Netflix <laughs> yeah. for, for having this in its catalogue. I wonder like, if a lot of people have clicked on it like, as much of, as Bright. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, highly doubtful. Uh, yeah. um, there are no orcs in this, okay? There's no Will People Smith love their orcs. Jokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I think the, poster, the Netflix poster looks like shit as well. Yeah, it doesn't look great. It's just like five of them stand... Like, it doesn't capture like, anything that's unique about the movie at all. I guess it would be hard to do that. I, it would be hard, but they should have tried at least. <laughs> Rather than just copy and pasted like five actresses yeah. and put them in a grey background or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, it doesn't catch the eye. You got to catch the eye because you click on Netflix and there's just so many things competing for your attention. Like you got to got to make that poster look really good. Yeah, but um, anyway, I digress. Good movie. Uh, yeah, great movie. <laughs> what did you? Um, I guess I'll turn to address the listeners now. What did you guys think of the movie? Tell us at spoilernationpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, or join our Facebook group at Spoiler Nation on Facebook. Yeah. And, um, you know, give us five stars on iTunes or whatever. Only five stars. Yeah. <laughs> four stars is not acceptable. Uh, well, I'll, t- I'll take four stars. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> well, yeah, interpret that, interpret that how you will. So, yeah, until next time. the same